matters of the mind. Are you looking for answers, ideas, or just want someone to listen to you so you can vent? Join Dr. Peter Sacco as he discusses what matters most, issues that surround the mind. He gets to the heart of the matter when it comes to issues involving anger, depression, addictions, fear, anxiety, relationships, sex, abuse, bullying, and everything concerning you. And now, here's your host, Dr. Peter Sacco. Welcome to Matters of the Mind, where everything on your mind matters most to us each and every week. I'm Dr. Peter Andrew Sacco, host of this awesome show that my co-host and producer Todd Miller has put together. How are you, Todd? Doing well, doing very well. And uh, another stellar guest today, another great topic. And yeah, absolutely. It is, folks, for all you listening, it is Mental Health Awareness Month, which is a very important month, uh, definitely because... <laughs> It's all about what's going on between your ears and how you're living your life, whether you're living it to your fullest potential, or perhaps there are some sort of setbacks you have, some sort of illnesses, um, or you know it could be even a lot worse than that. And so with that said, we definitely want to pay homage to this month, given that our show is primarily about thoughts, mental health issues, and thinking clearly. Yeah, you're going to launch that companion show called Matters of the Body at some point in the future, but we haven't quite got gotten there yet. No, we're still dealing very much with the mind, and and it's um it is it is a very important month. I know many people that struggle with various forms of of uh, you know we like to call it mental illness and and struggles, whatever you really want to call it. But you know, without your mind, there's really very little that you can do to to contribute to the world. Um, if your body's failing you, you can still use your mind and still contribute. But boy, I tell you, if you're struggling with mental health and mental stability, uh, it's damn tough to do anything. Absolutely, Todd. In fact, a lot of people, when you hear the term mental illness, mental disease, um, mental issues, a lot of times it surrounds um, topics or ailments such as depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, etc. But one of the more prevalent ones that we're hearing, reading a lot about, especially in the media, uh, movies, um, books, um, is dementia. In fact, dementia affects many um, individuals uh, in their later adulthood, into senior years. And when you hear the term dementia, it basically means a brain condition that causes problems with your thinking and your memory. And in fact, one that most people will oftentimes hear about, Todd, is Alzheimer's disease, which is probably the most common type of dementia, and it affects roughly about 5 million Americans. That's incredible. And I know that you know, it's it's not the same for everyone that suffers from it. Some people get it later. Some people get it earlier in life. And and I know even someone of, of my vintage, you know, when you just start forgetting what you came in a room for, you can't find your car keys, you start to wonder, okay, is it just my age? Is it something else? I mean, and it's, it's true. A lot of people I speak to that are entering their 50s and, and mid-50s, they just get a little forgetful and they wonder, okay, is this it? Is this the, the, the downslide into dementia? You know what? It's kind of interesting because there's a lot of discussions and a lot of research that is now surrounding concussions. Back in the day, Todd, especially kids, when we were kids, we'd bang our heads. You know, the idea of a concussion in childhood would not really be a big issue because we never knew a lot about concussions. And, you know, along comes the NHL and the NFL with all of their research on concussions, different forms of mixed martial arts and boxing, and then the rest is history. You're getting a lot of individuals that have developed 
uh, dementia from it, um, primarily Parkinson's disease um, and other types of brain injuries uh, that you know have eventually developed. And so we tie it back, hey man, this is, why are all these incidences coming up? Well, part and parcel, the concussions. And a lot of these concussions went miss or undiagnosed. They were, you know, just a bump on the head. And then later on in life, we're looking at saying, gee, what the heck is actually causing these? And in fact, um, nobody knows for sure what causes Alzheimer's, but we do know for sure that there is a, you know, a genetic component to it, that it does run in families. Um, and probably, um, you know, it's one of the most debilitating, is referred to as a primary dementia, which is usually um, one that has a very slow and insidious onset. And in some cases, uh, research has shown now that it could have been caused by a silent stroke, which can happen to an individual that doesn't even know that they had the stroke. You know, when you, when you said years ago, um, I thought back, I mean, now the, the the term that's being thrown around is is uh, boxer's brain. I've heard that before. Um, punchy, you know, people used to say, oh, he's kind of punchy. And they were making fun of the fact that, you know, it was like somebody got too many shots to the head and they were kind of goofy. Um, but it is very, very serious. And, and there's a lot of, you know, and to be fair, the NFL really kind of ignored the problem for a very long time until the the evidence became quite clear that these these helmet on helmet concussions or, or um, you know contact was really responsible for some of this this trauma that's going on but from what little I understand it's not necessarily the impact on the head but the brain moving inside the skull cavity that causes that trauma or that concussion yeah absolutely um and, you know, the brain is such a very amazing, unique organ, and it is so vast. You know, going back to my days in studying psychology, which was interesting in itself, we were nowhere close to knowing this much about the brain as we do today, and we still don't know a heck of a lot about it. It's basically looking at our, you know, our solar system and comparing it to the rest of the, you know, vast uh, if you want to call it infinite universe, that's, well, we're only looking at a crumb on a beach, so to speak. And that's the same with the brain. We don't know so much about what's causing it. And unfortunately, if you don't know what's causing it or what creates the problem, it's very difficult to treat it. And with that said, what's really interesting is we learned a lot about, I, I would say, Alzheimer's when the movie The Notebook came out, which was a phenomenal movie, uh, which kind of showed how painful it is to live with somebody who does have Alzheimer's. Yeah, and you know, I've heard this phrase many, many years ago about brain research. It's it's an imperfect organ examining or studying an imperfect organ. So the limitations of the brain are applied when you're studying another's brain. I mean, it's not, you know, you don't have infinite horsepower in your brain and it's inherently flawed for a variety of reasons and everyone's brain is a little bit different. So when you're studying it, you, you have to, I guess you use years and years and years of research to sort of correlate and look for trends when you're looking at something like Alzheimer's. What what age does it typically set in at? What are some of the factors? So I would think it would take many, many, many more years of study before they can really start stitching it all together in terms of research. Absolutely. And 
why we're touching upon this, which is really cool, is we got a tremendous guest today, Don Fields, who is an award-winning filmmaker with over 20 years of experience working in the film industry with such companies as Lucasfilm, yes, that is be George Lucas, 20th Century Fox, ABC, NBC, Universal, and a ton of other stuff, and now she owns Palm Street Films which is an amazing um, company in itself because she's won awards with some of her shorts lately, her film shorts, and she's got a tremendous film coming out called Fragile Storm, starring the great and talented Lance Henriksen. You may know him from shows, TV series Millennium, and definitely shows like uh, Alien vs. Predator and The Great Aliens itself. Uh, so before we go to break, we're going to let Lance say a little thing about what it was like to be in this movie. We'll be right back. Fragile Storm pulls at your heartstrings because it's all about abandonment. It's all about promises, you know, that are impossible to keep, especially when it comes to people you love. The music you'll hear on Out of the Blue will be jazz for the most part. No specific styles or genres. Every piece of music is handpicked to deliver quality performances. Out of the Blue can be heard on rtds.ca, live Mondays, 1 to 3 p.m., and encore performances Tuesday to Friday, anytime on demand. It's the true spirit of jazz, a touch of everything and then some. Thanks for listening. I'm Larry Green. Peter Andrew Sacco, and do you have technological rage? Oh yeah, the new rage of anger. Download my new book today, Technological Rage, on my website, www.petersacco.com, and learn what technological rage is and how it is sweeping people today, leading to online dating anger, texting anger, and social online networking forums. Hmm, did you ever think you might get angry texting? Facebooking or online dating, maybe you never thought it would happen to you, or maybe you know somebody that has this and you just need to understand it a little more. Welcome back to Mental Health Matters with your host, Dr. Peter Sacco. Welcome back to Matters of the Mind, where everything on your mind matters to us each and every week. And folks, keep the questions, comments, um, and things that you'd like to hear us discuss on our show coming uh, by sending me your stuff as you normally do on Facebook messages, my email, and actually throwing stuff on Twitter, which has been really, really cool. So before we went to break, we were talking about dementia, and probably one of the most common ones that people oftentimes hear about that resonates primarily in the media is Alzheimer's. Uh, we talked about how it was wonderfully portrayed in the movie The Notebook, and it is now wonderfully being portrayed again, and exceptionally uh, well, because I basically got to get a glimpse behind the screen, so to speak. And the wonderful woman that is putting this together is Dawn Fields, who is an award-winning 
filmmaker, uh, as she says, with 20 years experience in the film industry, working with companies such as Lucasfilm, 20th Century Fox, ABC, NBC, Universal, and a whole bunch of others. But what's really cool, she has put together Palm Street Film, which uh, has already won some great awards. And she's got an upcoming movie, which we are reading about, called Fragile Storm, starring Lance Henriksen, amongst other stars, which will be scheduled for release sometime this June or July. Welcome to the show, Don. How are you? Hi, Pete. I'm great. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So, before we dig right into Fragile Storm, uh, as we always do each and every week with our guests on the show, we like to have our listeners learn a little bit about them. Um, so, Don, tell us a little bit about the last 20 years of your life in the <laughs> film industry. <laughs> in a nutshell, right? Um, well, I was born and raised in Atlanta, started in the film business there, working on all the big-budget films that were coming through the South in the early 90s. And then in 2000, I made the move out here to Los Angeles. And since then, I formed my own production company. And about three years ago, we started doing short films. We've done about eight of them since then. And Fragile Storm is kind of our, our crowning jewel. It's the It's the biggest, most important film we've ever done. It's the most meaningful by far, um, and also the biggest star that we've worked with to date. So, you know, at, since as I've been here the last several years, it's kind of been a progression. You know, you start out on the smaller films, and you kind of work your way up to your to your passion project. Um, and this, this has certainly been the most important film I've done to date, and, and maybe the most important film I'll ever do. Um, it's, it really means a lot to us, and it's been a long time in the, in the making. I know one thing, when you original when you sent me the script last year and I read it, I was absolutely blown away by it. It was absolutely breathtaking. Um, for those that will eventually get a chance to see this, it is, it's, it's absolutely amazing. And Lance Henriksen does a phenomenal job um, because, uh, you know, there's a little bit of mystery shrouded behind the whole film. But before we go there, Don... Uh, You've already won uh, an award recently for another film that you had come out. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, one of the films we did last year was called Found, and that's kind of a, a, a dark psychological drama uh, about a young man who comes back to confess a previous uh, sin or crime against a family that he grew up with. And it's, it's really a story of, you know, redemption and forgiveness and guilt, really. And it's a, it's a really deep film, and we had the honor of premiering at the Idlewild Film Festival back in December, the end of December. Or actually, um, uh, the festival ran through January, so we, we actually had our premiere on January 9th, I believe. Um, and that's a great little festival in Idlewild, California, and we were so blessed. There's such a great group of people that run that festival. And we were really honored to be awarded Best Short Film. I got a Best Director Award, and we were also nominated for... Um, Best Original Score and Best Cinematography, um, all in one festival. That, that was our the first and only festival we had entered at that time, so it was like, wow, we're off to a really great start. Um, so we were really thrilled about that. And actually, um, the lead actor in that film is Juan Reedinger, who's actually Canadian. Um, so we were really proud of that film. He, his, his performance is phenomenal, and we're just waiting now for him to start racking up some Best Actor awards because he, he was really phenomenal in that film. Uh, but the entire cast was fantastic, and 
the film is just it's it's kind of told in a unique way it's told a little bit out of order most some, most of the, a lot of the stuff is revealed kind of after the fact and so you, you kind of have to pay attention you really have to get absorbed in it but it, it was a it was a nice exercise for me as a, as a director to to take on a challenge like that and kind of jumble up the order of things and and, and play with the reveal um, I, I tend to it seems that I often get attracted to stories that are either have, have a twist ending or are kind of what I call a misdirect. You think it's one thing and then you realize it's kind of something else or, or things are revealed later. Um, and that's certainly the case with Fragile Storm. Um, you, you definitely think it's, it's one thing in the beginning and then you realize it's completely something else. And that, that moment of reveal when you realize it is, is really quite shocking. And to pull that off isn't always easy, and a lot of films try to, <clears throat> to, to you know, they attempt to make reveals and, and big twists like that, and they don't always succeed. So we, we really hope that we've succeeded on this one. I'm sure continuity is king on a film like that, where you're zipping back and forth in time and, and probably situations. Um, but more to the, to the point, what I was wondering about was when you decided to start going out on your own, you'd been working for years with these probably big budget films were you standing back going hmm I would have done that differently maybe this character would have done that was there that that sort of not critique but a desire to do things differently that that made you want to stand up and make your own films or did you feel that something was missing in big budget films that you could tell through a short well that's a very interesting question when I started out on the big budget films I was a production assistant and I kept kind of working my way up through the ranks and getting closer to the camera, as I say. Uh, you know, on a, on a movie set, the nucleus of the whole thing is the camera, and the most important people are always right next to it. And sometimes as a PA, you know, you would get a lockup way outside in the parking lot, and I, I'd say, you know, I call it being sent out to Siberia. You know, you're, you're out doing a lockup or uh, sitting with the extras and the extras holding or running errands or doing all these things where you're nowhere near the camera. And so the holy grail, the goal is, is you know, you try to get selected to, to do those tasks that are closer and closer to the camera. And as I did more of that, I realized, like, okay, that's that's where that's where I want to be. That's where the heart of the film is. And so I worked my way up uh, through doing uh, AD work, assistant director, and production managing, and, and things like that. I worked on a Brett Ratner video. I don't know if people know this. He started out doing rap videos in <laughs> yes, Atlanta. I remember that uh, back in the '90s. Yeah, and, and I worked on a couple of his music videos. Um, <clears throat> And then it got to the point, it's like, okay, well, you know, I think I want to direct. So back in the early 90s, I directed my first short film. It was a much better, I guess, I had much better results as a producer on that particular film than I feel that I did as a director. I tend to be really hard on myself. And so I kind of thought, well, maybe directing is not my thing, so maybe I should just get back to producing. So I produced for 20 years, and when we first went to shoot Fragile Storm, I was producing it, and I was hiring directors, and I went through three different directors. I fired three different directors because I felt like, you know, I co-wrote the script. It wasn't my original concept or my original story, but I was very involved in the, in the, in the rewriting of it or, you know, pulling it all together. So I was very involved and very invested. And I just couldn't figure out why I wasn't able to... to, to work it out with these directors they kept changing the script and they kept wanting to go these different directions and i kept saying guys you know the one thing we know that is not flawed about this film is the script 
so stop trying to change it. And I even several people, when I hired them, I said, I will hire you on the condition that you don't try to change the script. But once they were in there and once they got involved, they would always want to change something in the script that I didn't agree with. And so finally, you know, my team around me said, you know what, why don't you just direct this? I'm like, oh, God, you know, I didn't have such great luck with that when I first tried it and blah, 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 blah. So anyway, long story short, I stepped up to direct for the first time. It was kind of a disaster. It didn't go well. But I'm like, you know what, directing obviously doesn't come easy to me. I'm more naturally a producer. But directing is what I want to do and it's what I need to do to have more control over my project. So I stuck with it. And that's one of the reasons we've done so many films over the last two years, because I kind of jumped into that challenge. And I said, you know what, I'm not going down like this. Yeah, it didn't work out the first couple of times, but, you know, nobody masters anything overnight. So I just stuck with it. And I went out and I did whatever I had to do to find some scripts and write some scripts and raise the money. And I can definitely see a progression in my work. And all of this was in preparation for being able to properly do justice to Fragile Storm. Well, to, to all those other films, including Found, were very specifically a roadmap to get me to Fragile Storm. So I, I kind of went off on a tangent there. I'm not sure if I exactly answered your question. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's but, your vision and you don't really want to hand it off to someone like, you know, you, you give a sketch, you do a sketch and you hand it to a painter and say, here you go, go crazy. And it turns out nothing like what you intended. And so I can understand that where you want to take control and, and, and realize your vision without someone trying to mess with it too much. Well, there's two things that give you control in Hollywood, being the director and have, or, and or having the money. You know, he who has the gold makes the rules, they say. So I managed to do both. I managed to write and direct, produce, and raise the money. So I was able to be in complete control. And that's one of the biggest benefits of crowdfunding. And I've raised all the, the money for all of my films has come through crowdfunding. And the reason I did it that way is to have that freedom. And we've been very successful in building a fan base and building a following and an audience. And I've raised over $100,000 across all my short films in the past wow. two years. Um, and, and again, like I said, that was specifically to maintain control. So, Don, um, you know, I, I guess nowadays there's such a diversity of art out there in terms of, you know, movies, uh, shorts, TV, you know, the whole nine yards. And a lot of people will say, well, hey, a lot of it is just recycled stuff or people copying off of one another. So how do you go about then picking out a great script or something that really strikes you and saying this is a little different or a lot different from what everybody else has and how do I go about reaching my intended audience is it just going to be to entertain or is it going to be to reach down inside of them and actually make them become one with what they're watching well I'll be honest with you I've, I've spoken and, and, and instructed and, and uh, been on panels and stuff like that where, where I've always told people you know, look, you don't, as a filmmaker, you don't make films for yourself. You make films for an audience. If you want to make films for yourself, then fine, go do whatever you want and have fun watching it in your basement. Um, but, you know, ideally, you have to learn how to appeal to an audience. And I always used to teach that, and that used to be my mantra and my philosophy. But then, ironically, I found that a lot of my films were just simply because there was Something inside of me, a story, a concept, an emotion, a feeling, something that I just needed to say. I just needed to express it. And while you hope that the audience will resonate with it, it doesn't 
you don't always create art to sell or to or to gather an audience. Sometimes it's just an expression. And sometimes you feel things very deeply and you just want to express it. You want to experience it. Sometimes it's a little bit of therapy and you just want to get it out. You know, you just want to confront something and, and face it head on and just deal with it. Um, so I don't... I don't necessarily choose my projects based on what I think an audience will want, but that's because I'm still playing in this world of short films where I'm raising the money, I have all the control, and I'm being, I'm, I have the luxury and the ability to kind of just express myself as an artist. Unfortunately, when you start moving into feature films and things where there's investors and people who want to return on their investment and they want their money back and maybe you know all that kind of stuff, then unfortunately you don't have that luxury so much anymore then you do have to start thinking about well, what's marketable, what will get people in the seats, uh, what can we get, distrib- you know, how can we get distribution. So it's a luxury that I have right now that's probably fairly short-lived, but I will say I think there's, there's two reasons people make film. There's art and there's commerce. Well, it's funny. It's an, I draw parallels as someone who's still in the music industry. I draw parallels between the music industry and the film industry because both of the models have radically changed since the studio days or, or the, the record company days where the record yeah. company would sign you, give you a big bonus and dictate your career. And the same with yep. film necessarily. I mean, it was more of a film to film to film basis where, you know, you could have a success and you weren't guaranteed a success. But generally, someone would pony up some money and say, hey, this Lucas kid, I don't know, I think I'm going to give him a shot because he's, he's done some good things. And right now, it's an incredibly freeing time, I think, looking at the film industry for anyone who's involved in it, whether you're a director or producer, because you're, you have the ability to, to fundraise and get your capital so you don't need a silent investor or a not-so-silent investor going, I don't know, this Henriksen guy, I don't know if he's the right cast member for this film, uh, versus you with the vision saying, I know what kind of movie I want to make so you can fundraise. And there's incredibly, you know, there's a lot of incredible opportunities now with original content coming from from Netflix and people like that. So I see it as maybe you think it is short lived, but who knows, maybe it'll grow and give you more um, room to experiment and, and pilot your own craft. Well, yeah, I mean, not only is there there more more uh, more of an exciting time than ever in, in crowdfunding and raising money and, and doing your own thing, but also in, distrib- in distribution. These days, people can command their own distribution paths. They can go online. They can build a website. They can go on social media and build a fan base and, and draw their own audience. You, you, know, you couldn't do that before the Internet existed and before you know, social media took off. So not only are, and, you know, and also filmmaking itself is more and more affordable now with uh, smaller, more affordable cameras. So, I mean, it's, it's, everything's lining up for filmmakers to be a little bit more in control of their own, of their own destiny. Now, if, if you want a big budget studio film or something that's going to go out to 2,000 screens across the country, you know, you're not really going to be able to, to pilot that yourself. But, you know, in the smaller, more independent film route, there's more choices and more freedom than there ever has been in the past. I can't use my iPhone to shoot a feature film then. <laughs> yeah, you can. People have done it. Uh, yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah, people have done it. That's that's all the buzz right now is there's these, these feature films that are premiering and all these festivals all over the place because, you know, and, and the big draw is come see the first movie made on an iPhone, and now there's several of them. Um, so you absolutely can. So, Don, with people out there, especially our listenership, we got a great group that's always asking, hey, where do we find stuff on your guests? 
this is an intriguing thing because a lot of times folks want to find shorts and it's like well it's like you know Todd was bringing up Netflix and it's like okay I've looked for this short but where the heck would I find it has it ever been you know is it released can I get on DVD can I download it somewhere and I remember watching when you sent it to me I was absolutely blown away by your movie found uh, for those that ever or can get the chance to watch it as Don says, it's a, a really deep, dark secret between two childhood friends. And I was really uh, impressed by the ending. How could somebody find something like that movie found? Oh, well, thank you. First of all, thank you so much for that compliment. I really appreciate it. We're very proud of that film. We worked very, very hard on it. Um, the, the thing about short films that is so frustrating, and, and I, this, ugh, I always have a hard time dealing with this, but the, pr the problem with short films is, and, and kind of, a lot of features too is that there's this depending on what you ultimately want for the film if you decide to go with a film festival strategy which most people do they do short films so that they can go on the film festival circuit get some accolades get some awards get some notoriety you know and sometimes it's just fun it's just fun to go to a premiere and do the Q&A afterwards and meet the fans and, and all this other kind of stuff um, if you choose to do that route, it's a very slow, painful process. Six months to a year is not uncommon for a film to be on the film festival circuit. And unfortunately, most film festivals require that you do not show the film in public or online during that time because they want the exclusive rights to that film. They don't want, you know, because their philosophy is why would someone come to our festival and pay $15 to come see your short film when they could go online and watch it for free. Right. So, I mean, it all makes sense, and I get it, but it's a really frustrating time when you have to keep the film sequestered. So, unfortunately, you know, you do a crowdfunding campaign, you get everybody excited about the film, and then you have to sit on it for six months to a year. Now, one of the things I always do with my investors, which is why, or my donors, is you've already gotten to see the film, right? So, um, what I do is I say, okay, well, if you, if you contribute or support my film in my crowdfunding process, I'll send you a copy of that film as soon as it's done, and so you'll get to see it six months to a year before most people. So it's a huge advantage there to get in on the ground floor and be in on that level. Um, yeah, but it's, it's, it's ab the film festival circuit is absolute maddening. It, it's fantastic and it's fun, but it's, patience is not my middle name, so it's really hard for me. Um, so but yeah, six months to a year. Yeah, that'll be your next thing. Patience is a virtue sort of deal. <laughs> yeah, I know. I need to do a film on that and deal with that through, my, through the therapy of filmmaking. Um, but to answer your question, you know, once it's done with that film festival run, then we put it on our website. So I really encourage people to go to palmstreetfilms.com and join up with our, sign up for our newsletter. And that way you'll, you'll get emails about our upcoming films if you want to participate get involved on the ground floor and also that's where we'll post our films once they can go on you know go online and be publicly available awesome awesome we have to take a break and when we come right back we're going to talk more with don fields and about fragile storm starring lance henriksen which is going to be coming out um, later this summer and i got a question already somebody sent me on facebook as we're taping the show they she has a question for don we'll be right back 
You're listening to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio at talk-radio.ca. Buying or selling a home, condo, or investment property may be one of the largest transactions you'll ever make. It's important to gather as much information as you can, and preferably from experienced, successful professionals. When it comes time to make your move, call the Mulholland Ross Real Estate Team with Keller Williams Real Estate Service at 416-230-8500 or visit www.realestatetoronto.com. Whether you're making your first move or selling your much-loved family home. The Mulholland Ross team offers over 26 years of real estate sales and service across the GTA. Listen every Sunday at 4 p.m. here on Radio That Doesn't Suck to hear the team share advice and information that will assist you with your personal wealth through real estate. Questions or topics you'd like to see covered? Email info at realestatetoronto.com or call the Mulholland Ross team at 416-230-8500. Welcome to my new book, Niagara's Most Haunted Legends and Myths, which is not just a book about ghosts and haunted places, rather about history in the Niagara region. This book explores and uncovers parts of the Niagara region which are considered some of the richest in North American history and the most haunted. As a matter of fact, one of the bloodiest battles in North American history, the War of 1812, between the British and the Americans was fought here. And this year, the bicentennial year anniversary of the War of 1812 is covered in this book. This book explores most of the haunted places, legends that have existed from the 1800s right now to 2012. Each chapter covers a different type of landmark which not only educates readers on historical significances, but also entertains with anecdotal ghost stories and paranormal investigations. Join me in this book as we visit beds and breakfasts, ships and boats, trains, tunnels, museums, mansions, highways, forts, cemeteries, waterfalls, and many more, and see if the Niagara region is really haunted. Niagara's Most Haunted Legends and Myths is now available at Indigo Chapters and online on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com and visit our website, www.niagara'smosthaunted.com. Be afraid. Be very afraid. to Mental Health Matters with Dr. Peter Sacco on radio that doesn't suck.com and rtds.ca. Hello there and welcome back to Matters of the Mind. Everything on your mind and brain matters to us, especially today because we're talking about Alzheimer's, dementia, and we have media that has brought a lot of attention to dementia and it being Mental Health Awareness Month uh, for the month of May. Um, we, like other organizations, one of our uh, individuals I partner with, Abuse Hurts, which is seen all around the world now, both in Canada, United States, very big organization uh, run by Sanderson Lang. And they're also discussing a lot of stuff for Mental Health Awareness Month. And so with us today is our wonderful guest, Dawn Fields, who is an award-winning director, producer, and she's put out some really, really good movies, including one that is due out, as we said, later this uh, summer called Fragile Storm, starring Lance Henriksen. And it focuses primarily on Alzheimer's. And for anybody who is living with a loved one, or knows of anybody with Alzheimer's, it is a very painful, slow, insidious disease that literally robs an individual 
of their soul and humanity, and it is a very tough thing to watch. Um, so with that said, Don, was Lance your original uh, actor? Was this the guy you wanted to play that role in the film? No, originally, when the film was first being developed, we were working with a, a casting director in town who had actually uh, recommended another actor. And, and I, again, I wasn't directing at the time. There was another director attached. And the, this actor was a very well-known, very well-respected actor in town, and we were so excited to have him. And we went on stage for a rehearsal, and some of the choices that he and the director were making just weren't right. And I just, I wasn't feeling it. And it, I remember it being such a stressful time because, you know, I was basically a nobody in the business at the time. And, you know, who am I to basically say, oh, this big-name actor isn't working out? But, you know, you, you have to make those tough choices sometimes. And just in my heart and in my gut, I just I didn't feel like it was right. It just wasn't working out. And this particular actor was, you know, still very... Like, um, uh, I don't know how to say it. Um, just there were there were choices being made that weren't that just weren't in line with what I was looking for, and so I made the really really tough decision to to take him off the film. And I'm like, oh God, I'm never going to work in this town again. It was just such you know, and he wasn't thrilled about it, and his agent wasn't thrilled about it. It was kind of a thing, and I'm like, oh God, am I ever going to recover from this? But that's the thing in, in this business, though. When you have the freedom to make those kind of choices, it's nice in a way because if it's wrong, it's nice to be able to get out of it and not feel obligated to it. Um, if this was a you know a big budget TV show or feature film where the studio said, "Well, that's the way it's going to be," or if the financer the financier was was in, insisting, then you don't have that option. But I did have the option, and I made that decision. It was a tough one, and then we went through. Then I thought, well, you know, may I want to go with an unknown actor? I think that's the best way to go with this. So we dealt with several unknown actors and did a lot of auditions and went through some other processes that just weren't working out. And it, it was just shutting me down at every time, every at every turn. I'm like, I, I can't get motivated about this film because it's just it's just not right yet. So I finally made the decision to just stop everything. You know, we had gotten out from underneath all the directors, all the other actors, we cleared the slate and started over and then I stepped, you know, up to direct again. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna make all the right choices this time. And once that happened, I remember specifically that happened, I made that a very tough decision on like August twenty eighth and a month later we were shooting with Lance Henriksen. After two and a half years, almost three years of trying to get this film made, that's how quickly everything finally it, it felt like the stars were aligning, and finally everything was as it was meant to be, because within 30 days, Lance was cast, attached, we had our studio, we had our DP, everything lined up, everything fell into place. And once we kind of opened up that door and started looking again, someone suggested Lance Hendrickson, and I'm like, you know, I, I, is, is he, like, in the right age range? Like, I didn't even think he was. And then, you know, when, when I started looking at, you know, the work he had done lately and, and all this kind of stuff, I'm like, wow, you know, he's actually exactly what I had in mind physically and, and talent-wise and everything for the role. So I kind of went back on my, my word about using an unknown actor because once I, once I kind of got locked in on Lance, I'm like, he's Norman. He's the character. He embodies and embraces everything 
that I wanted this character to be. And and I'm sitting there thinking, and, and how blessed would I be to work with such a legendary actor? And it was really funny because he doesn't really, you know, do shorts that often, uh, but we got the script to his manager, who's also his ex-wife, Jane Hendrickson, oddly enough, and she read the script and she fell so in love with it. She's like, you know what, I don't normally do this. She said, but I'm going to make him read this and I'm going to, I'm going to make him do this basically. And so she was the reason this film happened. Um, she got behind it. She fell in love with the script and she basically said, well, you know, we're going to do this. Um, so once he was attached, we said, okay, well, you know, he's not cheap. You know, most, most actors these days, they don't work for free, even on shorts. And so we just, we just once the decision was made, we, we found a way to make it happen. So the question that I had, um, uh, a lady had sent it to me uh, just within the last uh, few minutes. The, she had wanted to know, is this film then, uh, which Fragile Star, which is about Alzheimer's, what is it and was it done, Don, because you or somebody close to it has been with somebody who has Alzheimer's? Um, is it a tribute film um, or is it more of an awareness film um, brought it to the public? For me, it's more of an aware, well, it's an awareness. I don't have any personal experience with Alzheimer's. There hasn't been anybody in my family or anybody that I know that I've either had to, to, to care, give for, or was, was involved with. For me, I think it's very important to, to raise awareness, but I think first and foremost, as a filmmaker, I fell in love with it because of how dramatic it is and how shocking it is. I think all filmmakers look for that one script, or maybe, you know, always, we're always looking for scripts, I should say, not just one script. We're always looking for scripts that are impactful and intense and, and really are really affect the audience and I could tell even from the script when I originally got the script it was in a slightly different form when I first got it it's a slightly different story and we kind of molded it and retold it a little bit but I could tell just from the original concept that this was had the potential to be a very effective very dramatic story and so that's what's always kept me excited and I, I've had many people along the way in Hollywood from big agents to big actors to everybody tell me it's one of the most powerful short film scripts they've ever read. Uh, we also uh, placed pretty high in the Blue Cat, film, uh, Blue Cat script contest as well, um, based on the strength of the script. So as a matter of fact, when I first started raising money for the script, I had no director, I had no actors. All I did was post the script, and I raised $5,000 in two weeks just based on the strength of the script in my very first crowdfunding campaign. Um, so. It's just, it's just once in a lifetime sometimes that you find a script that's powerful. And so that's what's always attracted me. But on second to that is the fact that I think it has the ability to start dialogue, start conversations, and raise awareness. Because the, this particular film, it's kind of told from a dual perspective, but the thing you realize is it's really about the horrific conditions that the caregiver is put in. You know, a lot of these films, they're really told from the perspective and from the sympathy of the person who has the Alzheimer's. But this film deals more with what the caregiver goes through and how hard it is on them. And I think that makes our film a little unique and a little bit different. 
So, so thinking about that a little bit about where it's really intended to start dialogue and 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 probably for a lot of people pull back the curtains on on what Alzheimer's is and and its real effects because, like you said, you don't have any personal experience with it. There's a lot of people that haven't had any experience with it or maybe have seen something on TV, but. Um, do you think on films like this that are like social stories where they're trying to, you know, um, do good uh, and and expose conditions, uh, you know, elements of the human condition, would it not make sense for like a, an association that is um, spearheading awareness for Alzheimer's want to partner up somehow to to help you make that? I mean, I'm just thinking... Um, you know, I don't know if that ever entered your mind or if, if somebody ever wanted to consider that. But it, to me, I'm just thinking it would make sense to have some sort of association as long as, it, of course, they don't have uh, input on the script. Yeah, that, that's definitely part of our plan. Um, I think certainly from the scripting stage, you can get a lot of people interested. But what we're doing is... Because the film has turned out so well, and because we have Lance Henriksen, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're working on the rough cut now, and once we get a really solid rough cut, that we're going to take it out and start approaching some of the organizations that deal more with the caregiving side mm. um, and, and uh, target them specifically and approach them specifically and go to them and see if there's some way we can partner up and, and, and you know, help each other get the word out and... and Figure out a strategy to, to to get the to get it out to its audience and its market. So yeah, that that's definitely part of the plan is to partner up with somebody. And we have a couple of organizations in mind that we're going to start with. You know, we kind of we have our we kind of have our top list, and then you kind of you know work your way down. But um, we're definitely excited about the the, the idea of, of partnering with somebody on it. So, Don, for individuals that want to see this, uh, it, it's going to be released probably the earliest June, you said, and the latest uh, July at the film festivals, which um, we have a lot of listenership both in Canada and the United States, and ironically, from what I'm getting in terms of emails and Facebooks overseas in Europe, which uh, festivals would these people be able to see it at the summer? Or can you name a few that, you, that are going to be at? Well, the festival circuit is kind of a guessing game. Uh, we're we're going to submit to several. You never know which one you're going to get in. We, it, it means a lot to us to have our world premiere in Los Angeles, and there's only a couple festivals coming up in the next couple months that would kind of fit that bill, so we're targeting those. Who knows? You know, you can have the most wonderful film in the world and still not get in, but we feel pretty confident that this film will get into one or two of the local festivals that are coming up in, in July or August. Um, and so we want to start with that, and then from there we'll branch out to other, other cities and other festivals. But it, there's no way to know in advance where you're going to get accepted. And for anybody who's listening that, um, you know, is, is tied to any sort of uh, mental health, mental health awareness, um, and trust me, we've got a few of them that are probably tuning in this month to uh, who and, you know, our, what our shows are about. What is the intended message from Fragile Storm that you want to get out there done? I think, for me, I want people to be as sympathetic to the person that's doing the caregiving as they are sympathetic to the person with the disease. I think it's very important that 
that sympathy and support and understanding get extended to, to both of those perspectives and both of those, those people on both sides of the fence. So what I'm hoping is that, you know, because I always tell people, it's like, you know, I don't mean to sound, I don't mean to belittle the situation by saying this, but sometimes the person with the Alzheimer's doesn't know they're sick. You know, they go in and out of that dimension, in and out of reality. They don't, they're not always aware of their illness. The person who's caregiving is painstakingly aware every horrific moment. They don't have the luxury of forgetting, or the, I don't want to say the luxury, that's the wrong word. They don't have the ability to forget. And I just think that's, it's like a, it's like a living nightmare. There's never a relief. There's never a moment that you can get away from it. And so I, I feel like I want to. I want this film to bring more more awareness and more sympathy and more support to the caregivers and what they're going through because it can be extremely horrific. And you you see a lot of movies about Alzheimer's where it's oh granddad forgot his keys or grandmother doesn't know my name or you know forgets who I am or whatever. Isn't that you know whatever. And it, 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 it doesn't show the, the brutality and the reality and the violence that often goes along with these situations. And so I think that's, that's kind of where our message lies. Um, as someone who, you know, I have a, an autistic child and I know that respite care is, is hard to come by. And I'm sure it's the same with, with Alzheimer's that the, the caregivers um, probably need a break once in a while. Like you said, there's just no relief from it. And if you have a good support system, then great. But I, I'm pretty certain there's probably a lot of people here that are doing it themselves and struggling through. So that would be that would be something that would come out of this and hopefully, uh, you know, in some sort of uh, support mechanism, whether it's government dollars towards health care, I would hope that something would happen along those lines. Yeah, definitely. And, and it all starts with awareness and it starts with conversations. Yeah, I mean, one, one of the things that we've addressed in this particular film is that this couple is isolated. You know, it, it's, it's very obvious from the, the way the, the film plays out that they're, they're kind of isolated. They're in a, in a rural area. They don't have the proper support. And on top of that, they've made each other certain promises that no matter how bad this disease gets, don't, you know, don't break this promise. And, and that's kind of the, the backbone and the heart of the story is what links will you go to to keep a promise when things get really, really bad. Um, so, you know, par- part of the reason their situation has gotten so dramatic and so drastic is because they didn't have support and they didn't have anybody to turn to. And so I think it's important for people to realize, you know, these, with these days with the Internet and all the different things we have, it's really important that you reach out and get that support and don't try to do this on your own because when you try to do it on your own, this is kind of what you're going to be looking at is kind of what we're saying. Like you, you, sometimes you just can't deal with this stuff on your own. Right. Absolutely, and in fact, um, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, uh, we are basically in North America. We have an aging population. Dementia rates are up. And in fact, as we said, uh, over 5 million Americans are afflicted with uh, Alzheimer's and other types of dementias like Parkinson's, Huntington's, Pick's disease, Corsicov's, you name them. They're all in their primary and secondary dementias. So we got to let you go, Don. Uh, our time is up. Thank you so, so much 
for joining us and for anybody that wants to learn more about Fragile Storm, Found, and the other awesome films that you've got out and coming out, the best way to find out is how? Uh, PalmStreetFilms.com. The only other thing I wanted to say is, is that there's a really high probability that we might be doing one more crowdfunding campaign for our final expenses um, in, the next, uh, in the next 30 days. And so if anybody wants to to support the film, get it on the ground level. Like I said, if you, if you donate to the film, you get a copy of the film as soon as it's done, so you get to see it you know, six months to a year before anybody else, way in advance. Um, so, so there's a big advantage there. They should definitely visit the website and sign up on the, the email list for that. Awesome. You are listening to Matters of the Mind. More of it coming up just after the break. Stay tuned. You You're on Talk Radio. Dementias, they are definitely not a good disease, disorder, whatever you want to call them, especially for the people living with loved ones who have them. And I think definitely Don's film, Fragile Storm, totally embraces, um, exemplifies the notion of what it is like to live with somebody who has Alzheimer's or a type of dementia where a lot of people um, don't see the ugly side of it. And unfortunately, folks, there is a very ugly side to it. You know, I think it goes back to anyone that's caring for a loved one that has some sort of mental illness, whether it's uh, manic or whether it's schizophrenia. I think a lot of it is is hidden away. I mean, you you may see the person for a coffee. You may they may get out for dinner once in a while, and and everything may just seem quite okay. You know, just ducky. They're doing fine. They're coping well. But I bet you a lot of it's not coming to the surface. They're not sharing a lot of it. And I'm sure a film like this, well, while she was holding her cards pretty close to her chest about the, the, the subject matter and the actual situations within the movie, not to give anything away, I'm sure there's a lot of it that is in the movie where you, like I said, you peel back the curtains and you have a look at the life of a caregiver. Absolutely, Todd. And I can, you know, speak um, for the film um, as being a... a as being as Don talked about, I'm, I'm actually was fortunate enough to be asked last year to be uh, an executive producer to the film because it really meant a lot to me when I read the script, um, listened to Lance Henriksen. I was absolutely totally blown away. And folks, definitely check this out when it comes out. This is up there, and I I liked it more. Um, I haven't seen it. I've only read the script so far because, as you know, Don says they're in post production. Um, it's very powerful, more powerful than what I read, you know, saw and read in the notebook. Wow. Um, so uh, next week, do we want to drop any hints as to who we've got on the show? Absolutely. Somebody really cool, somebody really interesting, and somebody that's going to shed tremendous light on mental health awareness. Awesome. You are listening to Mental Health Matters on Listen Up Talk Radio every Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time is where you can find us. You can find us on Facebook, Listen Up Talk Radio, Twitter at Listen Up Talk, Dr. Peter Sacco at petersacco.com. Please reach out. We are doing this for you. We value your feedback, your comments, your show ideas, and we will catch you right back here next Wednesday at 8 p.m. 
listening to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Peter Andrew Sacco. Reach him on his website, petersacco.com, or you can reach him through Listen Up at talk-radio.ca. We really thank you for listening. Reach out to us on Facebook, facebook.com slash listenuptalkradio, on Twitter at at listenuptalk. We'll catch you next week. You don't need no pictures. That man is not your man. And that's why I'm...